millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, this is Rebecca Atkinson-Lord and this is The Legacy Tapes. Before we get cracking with today's podcast, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. This was recorded in the function room of a pub in on a very noisy street in Paddington. Um, we hoped that it would work, uh, but unfortunately there was a problem with the window and we couldn't close it. So you're going to hear a little bit of street noise. Um, but I think the conversation is interesting enough that, that that won't be too much of a problem. But, you know, do just forgive me uh i i'm i'm sorry that your listening pleasure will not be as mellifluous as i would have hoped anyway enjoy the podcast hi this is rebecca atkinson lord and you are listening to the legacy tapes a series of conversations with artistic leaders um focused on how you might be able to leave something lasting in the ephemeral world of theater or not if you choose not to um, i'm here with cully thiare who is the Artistic Director and Chief Executive at National Theatre Wales. Before that, she was the Exec Director at CAST in Doncaster. And before that, she was Artistic Director at Contact in Manchester and Leicester Haymarket. Um, So you've been all over the country. Yeah, I have. Uh, You you know Britain pretty damn well. Um, And you've been through lots of of organisations. What have, in as part of that journey... Have you felt the burden of taking on those organisations or buildings at any given point, or is it, or, or is it always a, a light-shouldered joy? No, I'd never call it a light-shouldered joy. I don't think. Um, I mean, it's interesting how I've ended up, and at what point I've ended up leading organisations. Um, so, I my very first artistic director's job was with Red Ladder, which is a national mm. touring company based in Leeds, and. Um, it's not so much the position that I think was onerous, I think it was to do with more my race, my gender, that felt, because I was, uh, you know, I was quite a novelty mm-hmm. when I started out, I mean, uh, you know, there was Tara in London and Tallower I think were around and uh, Black Theatre Co-op, but there weren't many artists of colour working um, insignificant positions and yeah. if they were they were running BME led yeah. organisations so I guess there was an interesting nobody actually said it to me but there was sort of an undercurrent of oh what does that mean for Red Ladder yeah um, so you didn't have you didn't have the luxury of not being political no and of course you know one of the joys of taking over a company like Red Ladder Theatre Company mm. was that it was rooted in a socialist feminist theatre movement yeah. and so actually there was some of what I was bringing um, recognised that politic mm-hmm. and therefore and my, and my artistic life had begun helping Red Ladder out as mm. I, I mean my, I didn't come through um, the theatre world I didn't, have a, didn't go through drama school I didn't have an English degree I trained as a as a social worker mm-hmm. in Bradford and um, 
did an applied social uh, studies degree at theatre uh, at Bradford University and happened to fall into theatre in the mill. Yeah. And meet Ruth Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those are accidents of sort of circumstance that actually allowed a whole other world to open up to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think the burden of leadership has has been less about. Sometimes it has been about the role and the kind of expectation, but I think that expectation is more complex when you're someone like me. Yeah. You know, who's a working class kid. From the Midlands, yeah. Where is not supposed to? From Smethwick. I'm from Wolverhampton. Oh, well, round the corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, someone who's not expected to get to aspire to very much, um, and so you know that, uh, and and as a woman, and as a as a woman of colour, and as a million other things, mm. you know that that you that you're how people perceive you, what they expect of you, is quite interesting. So can you talk a little bit more about? that like what what did you what did people expect of you what was the what was the weight of that identity that they that they ascribed to you in the arts world um i think quite quite often um quite often either they didn't expect very much Mm -hmm. uh, or what they wanted was to for you to fulfil some of their uh, some of their narratives, you know, some of their politics or some of their sort of aspiration, which might not always align with yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in, you know, in the modern day, we might perceive that to be, you know, that they wanted to tick a box and say we've got a black person doing yeah. this or we've got a woman doing that. I mean, that's that stuff hasn't changed. Mm. Uh, sometimes that was very subtle. Sometimes it was very. Um, and I think. Uh, I think sometimes I, I do remember very very clearly um, having a going to an uh, an equity meeting in mm. London. Yeah. Um, and people talking to me as and confusing me with the only other actress that was from the north of England. In fact, she was from somewhere like uh, Manchester or something. Mm. And that, and then you know suddenly realizing that. These were in the days when I was a stage manager, and I kind of went, how curious that you know, um, and that the, the expectation was that you would then go and work for Tara Arts mm. because that was the obvious place for you. And the very, I think, what drives me and what's interesting as a consequence of that is that I have actively gone against that all of my life mm. in a way. So when there's been schemes and programs that are, uh, d- you know, diversity driven. My instinct has always been that's not, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not what defines me. Um, because it puts me in a box that I don't want to be put in, and mm. that you know sometimes that comes with its own challenges because you are perceived to be outside of, yeah. of the kind of structures that are created for you. Yeah. But that's also been the thing that's allowed me to get away with doing all sorts of things that yeah. have have caused um, ripples of. Uh, you know, either ripples of, of of sort of action, or have kind of allowed me to kind of uh, make a proposition that perhaps wasn't expected. Mm. Um, and I think that's been part of my journey ever since, really. Um, and I and I still find myself in those moments, you know, where people want you to talk about 
diversity and your role and mm. all that kind of stuff. All of which is really important stuff. I'm not saying that it's not important yeah. stuff, or I'm not saying that I don't want to be part of that because that is a responsibility one carries. Yeah. Um, and you know that you are creating and churning up the ground around you mm. sometimes in order for it to be easier for the future the generation behind you okay so let's talk about that then because even before we get to organizations i guess there's the there's the legacy of you as a person existing in this <laughs> ecology um so do, are you, yeah do you feel do you feel a responsibility or again like that kind of weight or or do you have an eye to the future and, and what the people coming up behind you my experience like do you feel like you need to be an ambassador or an icebreaker or whatever the right metaphor for that is um i i've always uh, whether it's uh, whether it's been in the early days of growing up in smethic i found myself um trying to find justice for mm. people including myself that, that i've always felt this huge sense of um that that, that life can be very unfair for people and what is it that you can do to make it better mm-hmm. um, and that and particularly for young Asian women that I was encountering and my own experience was that that, that so little was expected of you and so little was offered to you mm. that actually you have to fight for everything mm. um, and that fight came with sometimes with very harsh consequences um, and I think in the world of the arts we also recognise that you know in order to succeed somehow as a woman or as and and as a working class woman and then on top of that as a working class Asian woman um, becomes there is a challenge to to you to prove yourself and so by you place that on yourself as Mm. a burden but there's also an expectation that you feel you've got to do better than anybody else uh, around you in order to justify being in the room in with everybody else yeah um, and so I think that is a drive that is inherent in me but also I think that I do feel a, a sense of um, that I have a that I have a duty to support and make it easier for people that are wanting to to be in the arts mm. and wanting to have these opportunities who maybe haven't been given them very yeah. easily and so um I suppose part of my legacy is, is is trying to do that and also I think I just I just like being mischievous I guess <laughs> you know that um, you know I, I want everybody to be more curious with the world I want people to question the way that things Stuff exist is, yeah. you know and why why should we all go to um, a theatre building that's structured in a particular way mm. uh, why should why should London only be the centre of excellence? Why can't um, why can't you be perceived to be doing brilliant work just because you happen to want to stay in a city mm. or a town or a place where perhaps there isn't as, as much opportunity for culture mm. or, and culture needs more investment and more of your energies and more talent to stay there. And so I think I, um, my curiosity and my determination to to show that things are possible when everybody's telling you they aren't possible yeah. is what has been the thing that's given me a um, sort of purpose, I guess. Mm. And, and linked to that is the, the possibility that all of us can do all sorts of things. 
um, yeah. if we're unable to do them. That sense, I, I, I mean, I certainly find that. It's like when someone, when someone clearly thinks you can't do it, just that sense of, well, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show them. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's, it can be a real, uh, a real boost, really. Um, so Combined with, I think, having some people in the right places at the right time believing in you to say so you know for me there were certain figures um who just went you know i think you should do this kelly or what what i think you should be in the arts you'd be great or whatever whoever those people yeah. were i think we all have them whether that's a brilliant teacher or a brilliant you know arts individual you know for me they were they were ruth mckenzie and um at theater and mill who started me in the world of theatre and, mm. and seeing work there was very inspirational but also she was incredibly supportive and then you know um yeah theatre in the mills are going to um, i'm just gonna make a little bit of noise i'm just gonna shut this window because it's really... well i'm not because it won't shut <laughs> oh, well, we'll live with it edit that bit out again Tim. um uh yeah i it's amazing how, what a boost that place has been to so many people's careers, actually. And I guess because it, it exists in that academic space where you're just free to be, to question. Um, but also, it's because I think it's partly that it's not an arts organised, it's not an arts university, you know. It yeah. wasn't, it, it, it's, certainly when I was there, it was known for its, techn, uh, for its um, engineering and its foreign languages and its peace studies and its... So, you know, it wasn't, it didn't have sort of English and drama and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, those were, so the fact that it wasn't aligned, it was your personal, yeah, it's it different. was extra world. And it's the kind of different ways of thinking, boshing up against each other, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about National Theatre of Wales. Yeah. And then we'll maybe move backwards. Yeah. And um, so, so, four, man. <laughs> like... Because it's, I think it's a, like the idea of taking over a national organisation yeah. has such scary has such weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's scary. Um, and especially an organisation that's that's so recently founded. Yeah, and um, it's so wonderfully led by yeah, John. Yeah. With with such, I mean, they're yeah. big shoes. How how was that? Like, what what was it that you felt like you inherited? And and how was that? Well, it was. I feel really, really privileged to have been asked to lead such a wonderful organisation. And I, you know, it is daunting, of course it's daunting. Uh, and the burden of expectation on you to fulfil those hefty shoes is huge. Um, but the flip side of that is that, you know, I have a long association with the company, I have a long association mm. with John. Um, and you know, I was made one of the shows in the inaugural in their yeah. inaugural season. So I feel, in some respects, I was I was returning to somewhere familiar. Yeah. Um, and it felt like, uh, and there is a sort of family there already, and and I I feel sort of um, I was sort of rather overwhelmed by the response to the announcement mm. that I'd been given the job because the. The positivity around it all was quite extraordinary, yeah. and, uh, and so sort of, um, uh, you know, it left me speechless. You know, because it was just wonderful to receive that kind of support. So I feel, 
I feel very welcomed into into all of that. And uh, I think the biggest challenge for me is that I realise until until very recently, every organisation I've run, I've gone into it at a period of crisis. Yeah. And, and that actually. Um, it's it's been given to me at a point when nobody else wants to deal with it in yeah. a way, and you're not expecting it to succeed in very you know people yeah. don't have that expectation that you'll be able to pull it off, and when you do somehow, it's brilliant. It's yeah, sort yeah. of kind of they look at you with rather a bit of surprise, but mm. it also has meant that you know it's um, the energy of coming into this organisation means that I need to think about it slightly differently yeah. because actually it's not about and needing to kind of uh, firefight my way through. It's about building on a really strong legacy and, and actually looking at what the next chapter of, of an organisation yeah. is. And it's it's timely and it's, you know, we're not a startup anymore. We've, we've sort of got, we've landed and people know who we are mm. and what we do. Now it's about consolidating and and growing and, and you know, Bringing, bringing finesse and more detail into into how we can do things better mm. and in a, in a more in more depth but mm. you know I'm just, uh, I, the values of the company I absolutely hold dear to me and, and I think what we really want to strive to do is you know look at how we continue to be radical and relevant at the yeah. same time how we continue to be at the forefront of boldness and bravery mm. around the work we make and the kind of core relationship with place and people mm. and how that defines the kind of work we might make and how we might make it. Because that's, I mean, I think that's really exciting about how NTW thinks about nationhood. You know, yeah. like earlier in the series I was chatting to John and he, yeah. was, and he was talking about figuring out yeah. nationhood. Yeah. Like, what's that? Cause, because I guess you, you, will, you will come to an, an understanding of your own about that. Like what? Like what does it mean to be? I mean, I because you're kind of defining the canon, in a way. Or are you? I don't know. Argue with me. And um, like, what what does it what does it mean to you to be the curator of a nation's? We've just done this what this extraordinary weekend, City of the Unexpected, mm. which has just been. Saw the pictures of the giant peach. Yeah, the giant peach and the high wire acts and the fantastic Mr. Fox and hundreds of thousands mm. of people uh, lining the streets of Cardiff and and there was an international some international delegates from around the world that the British Council had, had invited across to see and um, and in, uh, to spend the weekend with us and in fact um, I was talking to the British Council this morning and they said oh interestingly one of the fe- one of the sort of themes that kept coming through from the international delegates was they didn't feel it was very Welsh. And I, I sort of went, oh, I wonder what that means. It was kind of yeah. interesting to kind of go, what does, what's their perception of Welsh, Welsh yeah. mean? Um, you know, and is that, is that about Cardiff or is that about something else that people mm. wanted? So I, I think, I think it's really interesting questions about what what it means to be Welsh, what does it mean to be English, what does it mm. mean to be Scottish, what does it mean to be British. And and actually for me, in my context, with my background, those questions of identity and how you defined identity and how how you how you perceive culture mm. and the complexity of all of those ideas are such rich vein because there is no singular 
yeah. way of viewing that because world. Because every, everyone's Welsh or everyone's is different. It's different. It, it's absolutely yeah. different, you know. And um, and so I think that's that's such a rich territory for mm. the arts to be exploring and for a conversation to be had about mm. defining the world we live in. Yeah. And then of course, you know, what Wales was pre-Brexit, while what Wales might be post-Brexit. Yeah. What the UK is, what its relationship to its, you know. What the hell are we doing? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we're in a world of chaos, yeah. and in yeah. that chaos is a huge amount of complexity, mm. and in that complexity are individuals who are made up of some really, um, you know, s- s- whole load of stuff. Yeah. That's not easy to I. Yeah, to really define. quite conflicting. Yeah. Thing, yeah. I think that's one of the things that I've that's interesting. I've been I've been really aware of post post referendum actually is that I really felt like I had a sense of what Britishness and what British values were. And I don't mean the nostalgic bullshit that gets trotted out as a as a as a cover for bigotry, but like the actual uh, texture of us as a collective. And actually post Brexit I I I find that certainty undermined. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't quite know like I, I remember having a conversation with a, an elderly Australian gentleman about about the NHS and about social welfare. And and being and feeling really quite you know, only five years ago or something, I'm feeling really quite secure in the knowledge of fairness and justice as part of that social structure or, or the aspiration for that even if we even if it's a failure and now I wouldn't be able to make that case yeah yeah and I think that's I, I mean I think I mean I think the whole world is in a state of crisis yeah. like, I mean I think the, the times we're living in um, are kind of dangerous in all sorts of ways um, You know, and in some ways, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the big anxiety for me is not, not just the poverty of, of, of lack of money and, and wealth, you know, defined mm. through wealth. It, it's the poverty of the imagination. It's the poverty yeah. of aspiration. It's yeah. the, it, you know, we, people talk about, you know, arts buildings, arts organisations kind of um, being in artistic, in, in kind of financial crisis, but actually we can be, they can be in, they can be in great financial health and absolutely be artistically bankrupt, yes. you know, and I, I feel like yeah, emotionally, I think we're in a place of bankruptcy because mm. I don't think we've, I don't think we've found us, don't think we are embracing our generosity and our humanity. Mm collectively in a way that we should be mm. and I think we're being told a certain narrative there isn't the narrative of most people actually mm. I think most people do have a good heart most yeah. people do want to live in you know they're not driven purely for selfish reasons mm. and I think in the if we in the arts world can help create a space where generosity and the collective spirit is it acknowledged or it's just recognized yeah. you know and that and actually that we can find a place for 
um, discussion and debate and provocation that allows yeah. us all to be richer for it yeah. because we all can find a way through the darker days that we're facing in order to find and help shape a better future then mm. you know that must surely be the role of us as our as theatre makers and as artists in enabling that community to come together mm. and make something possible that everybody thinks is impossible um, because the the meta narrative of you know divide and rule is disgraceful yeah and if any if if there's any sense of despair I feel over the last 18 months it has been that our newspapers our media and our politicians have behaved atrociously yeah. unforgivable and you know and, and have created and deliberately created in my view mm. a sense of pitching one group against another group mm. um, for their own power base yeah. and the strengthening of their own positions you yeah. know yeah um, absolutely and if you do that enough times if you tell people enough times they're not worthy they begin to accept they're mm. not worthy you know I certainly grew up thinking that I couldn't do anything because mm. all my teachers decided I couldn't, you know, mm. wouldn't be able to do it. So, you know, there are communities who feel abandoned mm. and believe there is nothing out there for them mm. and yet you offer them something. And certainly for me, one of the, the biggest, you know, the things I'm proudest of in Doncaster is that, you know, in a very contested landscape, building, you know, launching a brand new theatre venue which nobody felt that they wanted because actually their everyday living concerns weren't being met by mm. the council. Um, suddenly, you know, galvanised a community and it became the cultural living room for the town yeah. and people committed to it and suddenly found that they had a voice and they mm. were being seen and they could hold their heads up high and be proud of something in their town that yeah. belonged to them. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's, there's lots and lots of communities who are, who feel abandoned, who feel that they they have no voice and I think you know Brexit is a consequence of some mm. of a lot of that you know? yeah sorry that's deviated no. us in a no, long no, way no, off it's running buildings it sort of is and it isn't because I one of my questions or one of the things that I want to know is you know why do you do this why the hell the why this and like do you because I'm insane so <laughs> <laughs> sort of masochist yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it kind of linked into that is this sense that do you think do you think theatre or performance or whatever comes under this umbrella of of art can elicit change? Does it does it have an impact in a meaningful way? And I feel like those things are probably linked, or maybe not. Um, I think it it depends on what you mean by change. I think. I think art can have a profound impact on people and I've seen that and I've witnessed that and I'm also aware that having done work in particular contexts and being who I am and the visibility that has given that that has impacted on young people who mm. then come into the profession because they've seen someone like me doing it and mm. those things are real and tangible consequences of the work we make. I'm also aware that you know there's vast amounts of money and invested in a, in the arts, which is only seen by a very small percentage of people, um, and those people are from a very narrow uh, 
group in its own right. So, yeah. so clearly we, there is a big problem, mm. and it's a big problem that we are not dealing with mm. very effectively, which is that for a large proportion of the population, the arts is perceived to be not for them. Yeah. And we make derisory, I would say, um, opportunities to try and do something about it. Mm. We're very articulate about all the challenges that we have about yeah. not being able to do anything about it and legitimising why it's a problem mm. and why more money is needed. But actually, the reality is that the off that offer just never changes, mm. um, and you only have to look at. You only have to look at the theatre programmes to know what the canon yeah. is and should be, and what do you do if it's not that? Yeah. Um, and 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 where where you're perceived to be in the pecking order in relation to that. Um, and I I think one of the you know uh, one of the interesting things for me is that I've ended up getting jobs where I suspect that. The, the real artistic directors probably wouldn't have wanted to go for it or <laughs> because it's not going to get them to the places that they perceive themselves to I want to I'm be. I'm pretty sure National uh, Theatre of Wales is a, that's a, that's a golden goose. <laughs> I know, but I don't think anybody expected me to get that, did they, really? I don't know. Um, no, absolutely, but, you know, I, I sort of contact was in crisis when I first went mm. there. And at that point, you know... Um, there was the, the chair of the board and uh, some board members who, who sort of said to me, we think we want to return to finding a way of making a place for young people. Do you think that's possible? And, and it was an opportunity to, to kind of model up something completely new. Mm. And I'd been asked to do that because I'd been, I guess, partly running, specialising in making work for young mm. people. And, and I do remember really clearly people, funders pulling money away, um, board members feeling uncomfortable about the direction of potential. Because it wasn't buying into the existing value system. Yeah, because it was going to be different. Mm. It was going to be different and nobody was doing it. Yeah. That, wasn't, that wasn't the world yeah. anybody recognised. And I also remember somebody really categorically said, do you think this is going to work? Can you, they, the, the, actually the phrase was, can you guarantee me this will work? And I'm kind of going no, but I also, think it has like everybody. You know, definition of work. Yeah, but also you know we know these component bits all work, so mm. why wouldn't uh, mm. if 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 you make the if you have a level of integrity about your intention, mm. then of course it it will work. Young, you know, somebody else sort of said to me, it'll just be a glorified glorified youth club, a very expensive glorified youth club, mm. and you kind of go that's really interesting that you're already making judgments on what you think young people want or don't want from mm. an arts you know, and then of course John came in and took that vision and made it into mm. this extraordinary um, building uh, and the legacy of which you know, still yeah. assists strongly now. Yeah, I mean um, it's, it's, it is routinely held up as yeah, as, a, as an international exemplar yeah, yeah. And I and I think the, you know the same, the sort of same is true of some of the uh, of things like Doncaster, like Cast, where because no, you know, because nobody expected it mm. to work, you were allowed to do things that were quite radical that nobody knew they were radical because nobody had 
done them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, it gives you freedom. Yeah, so that, you know, and, and, you know, I have to say in that context, with that, you know, this huge support from the Arts Council who, you know, um, in fact, it was the Arts Council who said to me, I think you're doing things radical that nobody even notices that they're radical. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting that sometimes it's the, you can break rules when, <coughs> you know, it's broken already, it's so broken, it can't get any worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, I, don't, I, I mean, I, I've, been in, I've been in interviews where people have, you know, the questions pre-interview that they ask you, and you go, that's an outrageous question to be asking. And, you know, it's to do with who you know and what mm. your relationship to X or Y is in London and who's in your address book, and you think, I thought we lived in a more, I'd like to have thought, you know, we lived in a different world to the world you're just, I'm just yeah. experiencing now, and so, am I on your, am I on your list because you just need someone to tick, tick certain boxes, or do you genuinely want somebody to kind of bring a new way of running yeah. this regional theatre, or that regional yeah. theatre, you know, and so I think it's, I yeah, I think, I think I, there is an interesting challenge posed by people, by my presence, <laughs> in some ways, you know. Mm. But it's great, you know, it's great that the landscape has, is changing quite significantly, you know. I don't feel quite like I'm the only one around now with Indu at the tricycle mm. and yeah. all that. Um, I was talking to um, Natalie Ibu mm. this morning, and she, was, and she was talking about that sense of... Uh, being second generation and and complexly identified and people assuming simplicity like ascribing yeah, simplistic simple identity to yeah. her and all sorts of things and and her and a certain degree of weariness at always having to fight the fight because to exist in the world you fight the fight um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I sort of I mean I think that's like I kind of wanted to ask you about that a little bit because so much of what you're talking about is this like bugger you all <laughs> I'm going I'm gonna carry on I'm soldiering on and and what and how does that affect you know how does that affect you what is what's the impact of that the legacy of that in you or, or, uh, or it's exhausting yeah. it is really really exhausting um uh and I sort of, I think you end up doubting yourself all of the time mm. because the forces against you are fight. They're constant. They're mm. constant battering, um, and and sometimes incredibly subtle. You know, I mean, I think those are the most those are the toughest ones actually. You can fight the fight when it's really clear. Mm. It's much harder to fight the fight when it's just nuanced comments um, or just a feeling you get mm. or a look that you might have or walking into a room where there's nobody even remotely like you. And yeah. I don't mean that just in terms of my colour. I just mean because I, I know that I can walk into a room. You know, I, that sometimes I have more in common with a white working class. Yeah, it's more than I do have a you know an yeah. Asian person that happens to you know from 
from a, who might be Hindu or whatever. You yeah. know, it's um, so there's a great deal of complexity around yeah. that that the world you inhabit. Um, I think the hardest thing about it all, where it really is the emotional internalizing that you do, mm -hmm. because actually there's very few people you can talk about those things to. Mm. Um, uh, and I think that's probably finding the sort of places to vent some of that, mm. so that you're not just carrying it in the pit of your stomach all the time. Yeah. Um, that sort of constant anxiety about what it is you're doing and how you're doing it. Yeah, and it's really hard then not to, just transposing this into my experience, like it's really hard then not to expect or um, uh, preempt those things and alter your behaviour in a way that you might actually not want to. Mm. Like I'm really aware, there was, a, there was a period not so long ago, quite a short period where I went through five different artistic leader recruitment processes and in every I wonder if I should talk about this in the podcast <laughs> um, and in every case women made up 80 of the five candidates four of them were always women very rarely any of them weren't white but five of them were four of them were always women and of the panels of a panel of five four of them were always men and in every case the guy got the job every case and I feel as though if it was half the time then it's probably the best person but in every case and now I often go into those conversations and I look at the panel and I'm like ugh and, and I have to work really hard not to give up, not to be angry at them, mm. not to, you know, just to, just to manage that, mm. that, and it must be so much worse, it must be, so, I mean, God, I have, I haven't seen, and I look relative, you know, I, I look relatively mainstream, mm. I look like a lot of, I look like a female default male, and mm. um, so it must be so much more of an obstacle just just that like oh for fuck just that oh for fuck's sake again every time mm. um, but sometimes you know sometimes you sometimes you know that even when you're going into stuff I mean I knew I won't, won't name names in these contexts but mm. I knew going into a particular job um that I was I was never going to get it, and and I wasn't sure I wanted it, mm. but I, I knew I wasn't going to get it, mm. and um, and and not because I couldn't do it, you mm. know, absolutely knew I could do it standing on my head, and that actually if I was given the opportunity, a lot of the issues that they were facing we could overcome mm. because I brought that level of experience to them. Yeah. Knew I wouldn't get it, was kind of was contemplating whether what was the point of applying but it's really important sometimes to just throw just your hat in the, in the ring mm. because and it was you know they I was seen you know I, I got through to however many rounds it got through you know, it was endless interviews but um, I think you sometimes 
you do have to just be present mm. because it's being present even if you don't succeed being present makes a difference mm. not in the not in the immediate term but in the longer term yeah. and and somehow you know suddenly I mean I just find it hilarious because suddenly in the last six months I'm being asked to sit on boards that are so grand that I would never have been allowed to sit on you know and I and there are moments when you sort of go, do I really want, is this really where I want to be, what I want to do? Mm. And then there's other times you go, actually, I can make a difference here. It's going to be tough, but sometimes if they're really genuine and want to have that conversation about engagement and about culture and about how you, how you might become more accessible and more open and more porous mm. as an organisation, then... I'm really willing to do that and I sometimes have to, you know, you do sometimes have to step up to the plate and go, yeah, okay. Um, I'm here. I'm here and I'm present and my presence is going to make a difference. It might not change the world immediately, but it's going to make, it's going to create enough ripples for some of them to land Mm -hmm. and for some of that to make a difference in the longer term. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always, that's always, you know, my, my dear friend Noel Gregg, who's a playwright, always used to say, you know, that theatre was about trying to disturb the air a little Mm. and I think that's such a wonderful phrase because I think that is what you want to do in that collective room together as Mm. performers with your audience is to disturb the air enough for people to kind of see something new Mm. or discover something Mm. refresh something and I think we have to think about in those sorts of ways about where might our presence even if it's uncomfortable sometimes for us, mm. make that difference. Mm. Um, that's a really nice way to think about it. Yeah, just some, sometimes just showing up and being there. Yeah, is yeah is the thing. And shouting and screaming is is not mm. always going to be the the way to make that difference happen. Mm. Um, but I think you know how you how you make yourself heard is really interesting and I was listening and I can't remember who who um, this was but I was listening to I think some famous female professor who said she one of the things she teaches her female students is when you go into a meeting speak early speak early make your voice heard in the room early Mm. because people are tuned to the the tone the tone yeah uh, in the room and if you leave it too late it becomes as a a female voice when it's predominantly male yeah. coming in too late will d- causes more disruption later on so it doesn't get heard in the same way yeah. I thought that's interesting psychology that it's just literally set the tone it's literally it? yeah yeah your voice will sound different to the ears of everybody else around the table so if you say something early on then it's it's more established than mm. if you leave it too late. And I thought, gosh, you know, th- there's so much about the way our structures are set up, the way that kind of things that frame every encounter you have as to how people perceive you and what the offer is mm. in that moment and how much you therefore receive or reject yeah. what, what that encounter is made up of. Um, and I think, you know, those of us who live with all of this complexity, I think we're more attuned to how people might be feeling and therefore 
probably more open and more supportive of that. Whereas if you have been in a world where there's never been any question of your presence in that place, where that sense of entitlement and purpose is being with you all your life, mm. how would you ever know what it feels like? Yeah. To, to, have to, to not have that. Yeah. Um, or to, to, to feel that you've got that sense of entitlement. You've earned that sense of entitlement, but still the feeling that you're a bit of a fraud. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the complexity around the, the sort of emotional arc of how we live our lives is very, it's very interesting in our mm. world of theatre. Yeah, and I think often there's a, I find a real conflict between what we think we are, which is liberal and progressive and innovative and open and generous. We're not at all. We're not and at we're all. conservative <laughs> little reactionary buggers. All yes, yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and just managing the, that, that assumption of self and the reality I find quite, quite yeah. challenging. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think we like to think of ourselves as innovators and we're not. We, we shy away from... We're, we're incredibly risk-averse. We're incredibly narrow. In our thinking, I think we, you know, as you say, I think we're very, very conservative, and and we play with, you know, who do we know that makes us feel comfortable and let's stay in our comfort zone. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I think it's much more interesting when you're outside of your comfort zone, mm. trying stuff that's. You know, and I think theatre should have that element of danger all of the time. Mm. There shouldn't be any certainty mm. to whether what you're making is going to land in the right way, um, because we're not. You know, sometimes it's the randomness of something that creates extraordinary moments and extraordinary encounters. Not the mm. detailed. Uh, you know, that's worked before; it'll work again. Well, no, it won't, because everything changes. Yeah. You know. The light is falling differently today. Yeah. The group of people in that room is different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. At what point are we all going to say, we've had enough of, we love Shakespeare, but but can we do something else for a bit? Um, You know, but that that sort of sense of how do we create, I mean, my biggest anxiety really is how do we create the canon of our world as it is now? Mm. How do we tell the stories of our time? That's our responsibility. How do we capture and tell the stories of our time? Um, because we're really... And we're be- not doing it. We're not, we're, and we're really behind on that. Yeah, we're not doing it. And where we are doing it, there's extraordinary works and extraordinary artists coming forward. Mm. But, you know, they're in the margins and, you know, they're not getting the resource or the investment to the levels that where they really could take those imaginative mm. leaps and really make something startling and wonderful. And, um, and you know not in the numbers anyway that they need to be in order to kind of really feed that base in order mm. to kind of have extraordinary stuff coming to the top you know i mean i just think we are we've got such a short-term mentality about so i had an argument about this exact thing with someone that i care quite deeply about recently and uh after seeing a a show which had 17 cast members and only five of which were female and one of which wasn't white. And 
It was one of those shows where you sit and you calculate the, the cost, the running cost, <laughs> and you're like, "Fucking hell, I could, I could run a theatre for years on this show." Um, and and the, the, the uh, you know, I, I went, I went with, I went with my friend, and and he was saying that, and I was like, "This," and we came out, and I was like, "This makes me, I'm angry." Like, this probably was fine. It was pretty. I don't understand why. Why do I give a shit this story? I don't care. Um, but I'm I'm angry that it even exists. I'm angry that we're telling that we're doing this play again in this adaptation by the same old kind of person with the same old, same old, same old. I'm angry, and my companion kindly responded, "Well, what do you do? Do you rule out ninety percent of human culture? Do we stop producing those things?" And it brought me up short a little bit because in my fury I wanted to be like, yes, they've had thousands of years, now it's someone else's turn. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I, don't, I don't know if I... I don't know if that's actually the solution and I don't know if I really think that. But I certainly don't, I don't want any more of that. You know, how, what is the... Like, in terms of how we make this canon, how can we, on what we've got, what should we do? I mean, I suppose, I suppose the thing for me is that we have to find a way of trusting artists mm-hmm. and investing in artists. What we don't, we tend not to invest in artists. And, uh, and also we've got a system whereby if you want to have the big money to play with, you have to play by those particular rules. And mm-hmm. so you can't, you can't detract from those uh, directors who suddenly go, actually... I want to work with X, and so and and quite often those artistic directors or those theatres will be saying, so what's the what's the one what's the play you really want to do, mm. you know, and 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 often, it's quite often things that are well known or mm. whatever. Very because you don't know what doesn't exist. Yeah, what you know? How do you how do you pitch ideas around, you know, because around something you might make that could go anywhere. Um, so there's something there's something about the way the whole structure is set up mm. that um, that makes it really really problematic. Um, I I mean I'm not one of those. I completely understand your frustration and I completely un- understand the rage because I feel it mm. too at times. But I don't I don't necessarily believe that you have to get rid of all of that in order to. Mm. to but get I don't the think other. I do either. But no. Like, but I think I think there has to we have to find a way of rebalancing some stuff, mm. and the rebalancing of some of that stuff is about. It's not that these these big institutions are used to having lots and lots of money. There's lots and lots of artists who make work on top and take me, and mm. and I'm not used to working with lots of money. Mm. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy there because actually. Um, you know, s- making a saving of you know fifty thousand pounds by structuring your a particular cost in a big, a big multi million pound institution, mm. and I and I know th- I know this as an example. So I was told that um, there was an issue in a big, big house a few years ago, and they'd gone this person had gone in and to do some consultancy with them and had kind of looked at 
how restructuring would solve a whole load of issues for them and save them £100,000 a year. And uh, they never implemented any of those things because it was too, they perceived it as being too difficult to do. But in, their, in, that, in that parameter, their 100000 to them was not very much, was not a grand and amount of savings. And yet whose entire annual budget is less than that. Is that, absolutely. And he was, I remember, I was, I was you know, shouldn't really be talking about it, I suppose. But, you know, hearing that when we were sort of, you know, scrabbling around trying to get um, Doncaster on its feet, mm. you know, and also knowing that 100000 in someone else's, that saving in someone be, else's world be would be transformative mm. to such a degree. And yet there was this complacency state that was going, Meh. oh, I don't think I fancy sorting that out, really. Because there wasn't any real pressure on them to, to do it. Um, so I, I think there is some, there is some, some sort of shaking up that we really, really need to do. And I don't... I think we require some brave souls yeah. <laughs> to do a bit of that. Um, but I also think that, you know, until we, I don't know, maybe maybe more things need to go into crisis before they'll let us relook at new models or alternative models, I do, which is a sad indictment, really. But mm. I kind of ha I do have to reflect on my history and go, yeah, it's interesting, you know. Um, the places I've made things happen they've been at a point of crisis in order where we've had to there has to be nothing to lose before you take the risk yeah and that's that's a shame because yeah. we ought to be bold enough to try new things mm. um, but you know things are led by individuals ultimately and so if you get the right people in those positions of positions of power mm. um and you have a, I mean, I think the other issue around governance and all that kind of stuff, because that's a, a whole minefield in itself, you know, mm. those, <clears throat> you need, you need that sort of ability to be able to shake things up and also go, in the short term, it might all be a, f to change something of that, of those, you know, big it might be a disaster for a bit. For, you have to follow it through. You've got to make you a mess. To, yeah, you've mm. got to make a real mess and you've got to. Yeah, you've got to really think about it. Mm. What will it look like in ten, fifteen years' time, and how? And it will be painful. Mm. You know, um, nothing new comes out of something without a bit of pain, really. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think what's interesting about you know organisations like National Theatre Wales is that they're a new breed, mm. and the new breed has got a different energy. But what it's much harder, and you know, to do something with an existing thing mm. because there's so much investment yeah. in the bricks and mortar, in the people, in the history, mm. in the, um, and making change in those sorts of places can be much, much tougher. I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling because I, I don't think I can give you a clear answer to how, how, do we make it, how do we make change happen. I think we're stagnating in some... Mm in many ways, in many places. I guess either either very slowly and incrementally or by staging the revolution. It's going to be one or the other. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so, uh, so then I guess probably my last umbrella question 
is what do you want what do you want or what do you think your legacy will be and I think there's it's like a three parter there's like there's you as a there's there's you um as as like an individual artist or you know artist producer however you whatever mm. you let me mm. point yourself you as a person you here at NTW mm. like what do you want to leave behind and then let's like fast forward many decades to to the end of your time here and what do you want like what do you want us to say in your epilogue <laughs> epilogue eulogy <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know god she survived <laughs> um, blimey um, I suppose I suppose the greatest joy I get in terms of my legacy or who I am is um, is partly realizing that there are people who who've, who've made a career in their art because of something I did or mm. or was involved in not necessarily mm. me as an artist but something that I helped make happen yeah um, and that it had a direct impact on a on a, on a bunch of people that are now making great work or involved in the arts in some way and I think um, I feel quite uh, I'm touched that they've done that but I also feel proud that that that's been possible um, because of some of the choices we've made or I've made at times so um, I mean you know I, I sort of I have moments when I think you know, I gave Roy Williams his first commission ever, and mm. every now and again I think, oh, you know, that's great. You know, he's one of our yeah big biggest successes. And um, his one of his plays was one of the first pe- was the first piece of new writing I ever saw. Oh really? So from that, you kind of get a knock on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I remember him coming in, and uh, he did this wonderful. We did a wonderful evaluation with him at the end of his commission and the piece of work we made. Um, we did a, we did an ex, we did an evaluation which was a through a drawing exercise as mm. if it was a travel, yeah, it was a travel map, and he created this, created this wonderful airplane, and he said, he said, you know how much myself and Noel, Greg, who was his dramaturg on the project, how we were like his, like air, um, air attendants, you know, um, looking <laughs> after him, and when every now and again he'd hit a bit of turbulence, and we'd be right there. And, yeah, it was just a lovely image of kind of flowing, floating through, sort of going on this journey together, you know, and uh, flight attendants as, as theatre makers, and, and so for him learning his craft as he went through, you know, and I, you know, I, I sort of still think, you know, what a, you know, and he's continuing to make political work and important yeah. work, and he's being recognised as part of our modern contemporary world, you know, and I'm delighted for that. I had I had some involvement in making that possible, mm. um, and you know the same is true for some of the artists. You know, um, in fact, over this weekend, somebody said to me, "You gave me my first job," and you know, you you forget how much those things matter mm. to people, especially people who you know are from black and Asian communities or uh, 
artists with disabilities who you know you've kind of created access opportunities mm. for people um, in terms of National Theatre Wales I you know I hope we will carry on being an adventurous joyous naughty company mm. <laughs> trying to do things that are trying to do the impossible yeah really um, and it seems and like that is what that is what that company does yeah yeah, and if I you think look at a lot of it on paper, you're like, no. yeah, absolutely. And I, I sort of, um, it does it for me. It feels a little bit like you know, oh well, all of the things I've all done all across all these years suddenly coming to a kind of, um, a kind of satellite in this mm. one company. You know, in mm. terms of, you know, working with the communities or working in locations and in specific, in in specific places, um, trying to seed better whole ecology of the arts mm. in in the nation you know to, to support it, the growth in other people's talent and investing in ideas and uh, and encouraging people to be brave about what they want to say and how they want to say it and not follow the rules necessarily mm. you know, those feel like is a, you know, coming together of all of those values and passions and experiences that I've had um, Gosh, and what might they say at the end? <laughs> or what's your Encyclopedia Britannica entry? Or you know, you can frame it however you like. I don't know. I suppose she knocked down a few walls. <laughs> um, you know, she broke down a few doors. Um, yeah. I suppose my epitaph might be there's no such thing as you can't do it. Mm. You know, I think you say that to me and I'll find a way of saying yes you can. Yeah. That's that's really nice. That's a nice thing to take <laughs> out into the world. Yeah. Well I hope so. I hope so, yes you can. And if I you know, if I if I've encouraged one or two people to do that and believe that that's possible and that's great. I think that's a really nice place to finish. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.